There was a credit card company that ran commercials a while back that asked the question, what is on your credit card? The commercial went around asking people what was on their credit card statements. One commercial showed a golfer entering a store and flashing his fancy credit card as he bought a a set of new golf clubs. Another commercial showed a chef as she walked through a market meeting vendors and picking up ingredients. One followed parents through a store where they were purchasing a car seat for a child. And as the commercials finished, each time there was one that showed the golfer hitting a perfect drive, there was one showing that chef cooking in the kitchen, and there was a mom putting her child safely into the car. Now each commercial reveals something that we could say is important and valuable in that person's life. Leisure, good food, the safety of family. We can all say that these are meaningful things. And these commercials made an important connection that we all know and often need a reminder of which is to say that where we put our money, where we put our relationships, where we put our time, all reveal what is important to us, what is important in our lives. Now, as Jesus enters the temple and encounters the marketplace, Jesus becomes angry He turns over the tables. He chases away the money changers, and he is frustrated. The coins hit the floor. They scatter. You can almost hear them moving across the floor of the courtyard. Those vendors, as Jesus chases them, they scatter away. And I don't know about you, but it is rather uncomfortable to see Jesus this angry. But why is Jesus angry? Well, when one goes to read about the history and the context and and the culture behind this story in the Bible, there is an awful lot to learn. Putting it simply, though, there were people creating issues of corruption, exploitation of vulnerable people, demands of orthodoxy over the ability for humans to enter faithfully into the temple. You see, the work of the temple was designed to be faithful and to be good. It was designed to honor God. But self-interest began to take the place of accountability taking people away from what was important in their purpose. People like you and I, when we are distracted or forget what is most important to us, when we might set it aside for some reason or misplace it, we can realize that we hurt or suffer as a result. And even further might hurt others or cause other suffering. 
And in this, we can find ourselves feeling separated from God and from neighbor. So why does Jesus turn over the tables? There is a bigger picture than the disappointing behaviors of a handful of people relating to the temple. Jesus is turning over the tables of what separates us from God. Jesus is resetting the table to make space for what brings us closer to God. Jesus wants to remove anything that will separate us and our faith from God and from one another. Now, the Gospels tell story after story of Jesus entering places where this separation has occurred, where there's disconnection or isolation, and Jesus, entering those places, opens spaces for people to experience God. Jesus breaks bread with people who are told that they do not belong And in the company of those who need forgiveness or those who need to forgive, Jesus reveals what is required and what forgiveness looks like. Where people separate themselves from God or from one another in Scripture, Jesus turns over those tables that separate so that we who read the scriptures and encounter God in them know what it looks like to be a good Samaritan, so that we know how to trust God who gives manna in the wilderness, so that we can include the woman at the well alongside the tax collector. Jesus turns over the tables of what separates us from God, and still there can be a temptation to set up tables that work more for us than they do for God. In her book, Lent in Plain Sight, Jill Duffield talks about the ways that we can try to compartmentalize our our lives and our faith. She says in her book, I wish the ledger of my checkbook was off limits to the Lord. Life would be far less complicated if Jesus allowed me to compartmentalize my economic choices from my spiritual practices. In a sense, if we could put our coins in one pocket and our prayers in another, we might be able to create some ease for what weighs on conscience. You see, compartmentalizing our lives can give us a sense of order. It can make us feel like we have control when life might feel chaotic. It can allow for, a, for peace where two parts of our lives might be in conflict with each other. When our faith in Christ is central to our lives, it guides our thinking about our choices. Faith can guide us to think about our finances in healthy ways. Faith can guide us to have relationships that build ourselves and one another up. Faith can guide our political thinking so that it promotes the common good. Faith can partner with our hobbies, our careers, our desires, and our actions. 
But only when we hold these things together, not separate, when we hold them together with our faith, with God. Now, when a person's faith in Christ is fully integrated in how we live, we can find a source of hope and of purpose in living as God made us to live. When we separate our faith from our lives, we may find ourselves unprepared when we are facing the troubles and the sufferings of the world. True, we will still face grief when we lose someone beloved. We will still feel loss in the circumstances of life that do not go our own way. We will still get hurt and we will probably hurt others. We will still need to forgive and be forgiven. We will still need mercy, and our neighbor will still need us to be merciful. When what separates us is turned over, we can look to renew what has been strained in our own life. Jill Duffield's confession about wishing that we could compartmentalize life is an honest reminder that separating our desires and our relationships and our finances and our careers and behaviors from our faith and from our relationship with Christ can create barriers that Jesus is intending to turn over. It's a healthy reminder that God is never done with us and that God is always, always, always loving us. God continues to faithfully enter our lives again and again and again. And the question for us is, are we aware of the times that we put something out to compartmentalize, or to separate, or to put up a barrier? Are we conscious of what those barriers are? Do we realize and recognize the times when we do put them up? Now, Lent is a season in the church where the practice of self-examination is considered a regular practice of the church. And while it is a devoted practice of Lent, it is appropriate in any season of our faith. The church invites self-examination as part of our ongoing, never-ending formation as persons of faith, as people of God. And this season is a time for reflecting on the ways that God might be renewing, restoring, and healing ourselves, and parts of our lives. This land we might consider the barriers that we would have God turn over in our lives that would bring us closer to God. And some self-examination could offer us that kind of opportunity. Marjorie Thompson is a teacher of spiritual practices. 
And she says that self-examination is not an invitation to psychoanalyze or problem-solving, self-lecturing, or ego-absorption. The whole point of self-examination, she says, is to become more God-centered by observing the moments that we either are or are not so. Prayerful consideration of our lives through self-examination can help us to reprioritize and reintegrate what we know is most important to us in sacred ways. Self-examination is a deep look at the conscience and the consciousness that we have in a way that is deliberate, that is ongoing, that is repeated. We ask, or self-examination asks us to review our lives in impartial ways. It asks us to seek more awareness of our actions and our words with some humility. We can ask questions. We reflect on our responses or beliefs or behaviors or emotions that are in relationship to events in our lives. Thompson says that this self-examination is a process of becoming aware of our consciousness so that we can respond to God in appropriate ways. This practice of our Christian faith invites us to observe what is happening in our lives externally so that we can consider internally what is behind or what is motivating our own behaviors. We consider our fears. We consider what worries us. We gently, gently be kind to oneself. The things that are weaknesses or confessions that we might make We consider that the ways that we might respond to God when God comes to us. We ask about experiences and events in our lives and the influence they have had on us, the influence that they've had on our emotions and our questions and our beliefs. For Thompson, all of this comes to one important question that reads to me like a prayer. Was it your love, God, that moved me? Was it your love, God, that moved me? When we ask that question, considering what we have experienced, when we answer yes, we can speak our yes with gratitude. When our answer is no, we can look to renew ourselves with strength and grace. When we answer yes, we can consider our connectedness to God, and when we say no, we can look to consider what has separated us from God. I know, a practice like self-examination while it seems fairly straightforward, is not simple. It requires 
something of the person who practices it. It requires humility. It's not something that we probably seek out with enthusiasm. But it is something that can offer us a sense of where we have grown or where we need to grow, where we have found ourselves separate from God or a neighbor, where we have constructed barriers to God or to our neighbor, or where we have compartmentalized our life in ways that disconnects our faith. I have to imagine that if we examined our lives more intentionally with such a question as, was it your love, God, that moved me? I can only imagine that this would make a better life, a deeper love, a fairer world for all who practiced it. And I can only help to imagine that that would echo out beyond the individuals who practice to make a better life and a deeper love and a fairer world for people we share our lives with too. When Jesus enters the temple, turning over the tables, scattering those coins, dispersing the merchants and the money changers, Jesus awakened people to God's desire to tear down anything that will separate us from God. And we have a choice. We do. Do we examine ourselves and pursue God? Or do we put the tables back in their place? Do we turn them upright and sweep up the coins and return them to the registers and carry on like nothing ever happened? I have to believe that we desire that connectedness and knowing it, knowing it, so shows us just how much God cares for our lives and for the life of the world. As we continue on our Lenten journey, may you know the way that Christ is calling us, calling us to connection, to togetherness, to unity, to wholeness, to God, and to one another. May it be so today and always. Amen.